Well, this morning's sermon text will be from Romans chapter 6 and verses 1 through 23. If you don't have a Bible, you can find in the Pew Bible uh, the sermon text on page 886. Let us hear the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin 
and have became slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the powerful and gracious word of God. This summer we've been going through a series, a preaching series labeled Salvation. And the way that we have approached that is we've gone through what's called the Ordus Salutis. And simply what that means is the order of salvation. That order is not necessarily chronological, but it's logical in the way that God's grace unfolds in revealing his salvation. So today we come to, a, to the, the, the moment of salvation, the aspect of our salvation called sanctification. Granted, what we've read, it's deep, it's heavy. And learning about sanctification is going to be deep and heavy, I warn you today. But I pray it'll be encouraging. I pray it'll give us clarity in how we are to live in relationship with God. Because in our text today, what Paul has described to us is the uniqueness of the life of grace. Because in the life of grace, we discover that there's only one way to live right with God. There is only one way to truly live at peace in this world. And that one way that we spoke about in Isaiah 35, that one way is to walk and live in the newness of life in Christ Jesus. It's to live and walk in holiness. Now, let's not run for the gates because when we hear that, that's uh, encouragement that we are to live in holiness, we look at ourselves and we say, we're not holy How can we live that life? But that's the very thing that Paul calls us to, is to a life of holiness. And the way that Paul begins making his case for this life of holiness, he asks a very profound question in verse 1. He says, are we to continue in sin that grace abound? What Paul literally means, are we to keep on sinning, And keep on sinning so that the grace of God can grow in excess and surplus in our life. But Paul instantly, immediately shuts it down by saying, absolutely not, by no means. And what Paul is basically saying there, it shouldn't be named among you. Such a thought doesn't belong to a Christian. And I would say that every right-minded Christian whose understanding of what Paul is saying would agree with Paul. And so why did Paul ask it? Paul asked that question because he's confronting a wrong understanding about the life of grace. About the life of grace. Because in the Christian life, especially today, we get it wrong. We get it wrong in understanding what a life of grace is truly about. And we tend to make grace subservient to sin. We tend to make grace lesser than sin. And we tend to view grace as powerless in the face of sin. We may not come and say it in those clear words, 
but our life says it very clearly. Sin, you have more power than God's grace. And because you have more power than God's grace, I'm going to live serving you and not serving God. That's why Paul's asking that question. He's asking us, do we have a right understanding of the life of grace? And specifically what Paul was addressing, he's addressing those who had come to the wrong conclusion in verse 20 in chapter 5. Because in verse 20, Paul speaks about the two reigns of sin and grace. And he wants us to know that the power and reign of grace will always triumph over sin no matter how strong sin's reign becomes. As sin abounds, that Greek word that just is just beautiful and illustrative, grace superabounds. It superabounds. No matter how much sin grows and it abounds in its abundance and its presence and its power in your life, it will never overshadow grace. Grace has more power more presence, more abundance in this world than sin ever will. What a blessing to see the greatness of grace. Because grace is greater than sin in this world. It simply is sin is just no match for it. And if that is the case, what Paul is saying, then God's grace in justifying a sinner will never be thwarted by the power of sin. We can be assured of that. Not because we live a righteous life, but because of the grace of God that secures that life. And some took that statement that Paul made there in verse 20 to mean that the reign of grace was dependent upon the reign of sin. Grace cannot be active unless sin was active. And so really what we're saying is, grace, we're doing you a favor by sinning. We're giving justification for our sin by saying we're going to get more grace. But that's a wrong understanding of our justified life. We're given a right standing with God that we may live unto God. That's what today's message is about. Our message today is about living a life of sanctification. And living a life of sanctification is the way that God demands that we live unto him. Because understanding a life of grace in any other way is just wrong. It's not how the Bible teaches us. Because grace gives us the will and the power to live. Grace is powerful. It's not just a theory. It's not just the philosophy. It's a power is how the Bible describes it. And that grace that is given to us gives us the will and the power to live and not just to live any life that we choose to live, but a life of holiness, a life of sanctification. And that's what we're going to speak about tonight, today, and we're going to do so by asking three questions. We're going to ask first, what is sanctification? Second, we're going to ask, what does a life of sanctification look like? And third, is a sanctification a life of bondage? So let's look at our first question, what is sanctification? 
In short, Paul answers what sanctification is. It's the newness of life in Christ Jesus. He says that many times in our sermon text. The newness of life in Christ Jesus. Sanctification is how we are set apart by God to live unto him. And so sanctification makes it clear that there is a purpose for God's grace in saving us. Have we ever asked that question, God, why did you save me? Modern day Christianity tries to answer that and sadly it falls short. And so we have to answer that according to what the word of God says. Some people ask Did God save me because he felt so sorry for me and he just finally succumbed to my sympathies? Seems logical. But is that the teaching of the Bible? Did he save me because I was lonely and he needed me? Or did he save me because I was worth saving? I'm a good person, I deserve to have salvation. All of these thoughts are rampant in our culture. And they appeal to our need to be wanted, but they only distract from the true reason that God saves. The true reason why God saves to deliver lost sinners from the power of sin and death is to make them holy. To make them holy. And why does he make lost sinners holy? To proclaim his victory. Over, over death, over condemnation, over the power of sin. And the way he proclaims his victory is he proclaims the riches of his glory and grace and triumphing over all his enemies that all may proclaim that he alone is Lord. And the way that he makes us holy is through a work of his free grace called sanctification. We sung about that free grace. It's free because God's not indebted to save us. God saves us by his own purpose, for his own glory, according to his own counsel. He saves us because he chooses to save us, not because we deserve to be saved. And so this work of free grace, of sanctification, It empowers us to embrace our new identity in Christ Jesus. The new identity that began at the cross, but did not stop at the cross. So many times as Christians, our identity stops at the cross. It doesn't go from off the cross into the grave and out of the grave and into the newness of life. But that's the message Paul is saying. Jesus is not a half savior. He's a perfect savior. He doesn't just justify, but he sanctifies. He frees us from the sin and the guilt and the condemnation, gives us right standing before God, not so we can just sit there and bemoan our state in the past, but to get up out of the grave and live the life of holiness, to proclaim his victory over sin and death. That is sanctification. And Paul tells us in verse 1 through 7 that the life and death of Jesus Christ, it's not dead history, but living redemptive history. 
the historical truth about Christ's death and resurrection, it's written on the page of every Christian's life because they have been set apart in union with Christ to walk in the newness of life. So what's this union that Paul is speaking about? He speaks about this union in three ways in verses 3 through 7. First, he speaks about the union in baptism. In these words, he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Because to be in Christ, we must be washed. We must be clean. We must be separated from our sins. And that was done for us on the cross and the death of Jesus Christ. He received the judgment of God that we might have that judgment answered on our behalf. Because without the act of free grace, we would still be separated from God. But because Jesus died a sinner's death, we have died a sinner's death. We have died a sinner's death and been washed that we can live unto God. Second, Paul describes this union in resurrection in verses 4 and 5. He shows the, the clear connection between justification and sanctification because he picks up his thought to explain why is it that God did what he did in Christ Jesus upon the cross. And he did so in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. See the movement from death to life. From the death upon the cross to the resurrection of the grave. That is the life of grace for a child of God. And so why was Jesus' death necessary? Paul answers, because we needed to be resurrected so that we can live in the newness of the life. God didn't leave us up on that cross. He brought us down. How do I know that? Because Jesus isn't up on that cross. Jesus has been taken down from that cross to proclaim to the world he lives. And we, if we are in Christ Jesus, if we are in union with Christ Jesus, we proclaim that same victory, that we live in Christ Jesus. And because we are joined to him to live in conformity to his life and not our own. The third way that Paul speaks about union with Christ is union in person. Paul says that we are not our old selves in verse 6 through 7. He says our identity is ended. And another one's began. And so the identity of old self, it needs to be left behind. Because we've been separated from it in the death and the life of Jesus Christ. And that identity that's being left behind, as we sung about it, is that we are no longer a slave to sin. But we are free men in Christ Jesus. We are free women, men, and children in Christ Jesus. But Paul tells us that if we're not in union 
with Christ in this way, then the newness of life doesn't apply to us. We're still living the old life. Because Paul is describing a new life that is lavished with the benefits of redemption. And redemption means that we have been bought for a price. And that price is the life of Christ. A price that can never be repaid. A price that had to be paid so that we may have a new and free life. A new and free life set apart from the power of sin to walk and live in holiness, glorifying God and enjoying him forever. Do we hear Paul's message today? We can sum it up. Grace reigns over sin. If we are joined to Christ, then we should live in grace and not sin. And to live in grace is to grow in holiness. That is the life of grace that we're called to. If we're Christians, if we truly want to live in a life in a way that pleases God, that's the life we are called to. And so ask yourselves, are you weighed down by the past? Because what we as Christians need to do, we got to examine, is sin reigning in our life or is grace reigning in our life? And if our life is being weighed down by the past, then sin reigns. Are we held up in this world by a strength and resolve? Then sin reigns. Are we controlled by our emotions and addiction? Then sin reigns. And if our passions and our commitments in this life are from our old life, then sin reigns. Because the Bible tells us that in the life of grace, sins from the past have been removed as far as from the east is from the west in Christ Jesus. Our old self that relied upon the weak and beggarly powers of this world have been left behind. Guilt, hurt, pride, vengeance, and ungodly desires no longer have control over our lives. And a life of holiness is desired and pursued daily. That's a life of grace. That's a life of holiness and sanctification. And I know, as I said it, many were like, well, I still struggle with that. I still have problems with that. So does that mean I'm not living a life of grace? Does that mean that I'm not walking in a life of holiness? Because the difficulty for a Christian in this life is that a life of holiness and sanctification is never complete on this side of eternity. We are on the way to holiness in Christ Jesus, but we're not yet home. The way has been open, but we're not yet home. We are on the way to restoration. We are on the path of God's promise to come into the blessed dwelling place with our God. But we have not yet arrived. But we can have assurance that because Christ is holy, we can be holy. And so let us ask us the second question. What does a life of sanctification look like? If a life of sanctification is not perfect, then what does it look like? The life of sanctification looks like a life growing that's not yet fully matured. That's what life is. 
It's a progression from one growth of one stage to the next. So consider for the moment how some would describe the life cycle of a human. The human life cycle begins in pregnancy with the seed of life being implanted into the womb where a child is conceived. The child is brought into the world as an infant and begins to grow and develop into a toddler, then into a child, goes through puberty, becomes an older adolescence, passes into adulthood, then into middle age and reaches the golden years of senior citizenship. In each cycle of life, there is some kind of development and growth. Without this development and growth, there would be no life because life is a progression of growth and development. Each stage of growth is an indicator that life is going on. It's progressing. There could be no progression without life. Even though at the beginning of the life cycle, a human is not fully matured, I would think we're very hesitant to say that the human was not alive. Because what we would do in that case is we would speak of a potential for growth and development in regard to life itself. For life is imperfect in terms of degrees. And what we mean by the terms of degrees, it's imperfect in its growth and its maturity. But yet it is beautiful and perfect in all its parts. Nonetheless, life is perfect but yet imperfect. And this is the same with sanctification. The life of sanctification has a beginning. It has a life cycle. It grows and matures as it is nurtured and exercised daily. It begins with the implantation of the seed of the holiness of life in regeneration that births a new believer. A new believer that is made holy in all its parts but not in its degrees. In other words, the holiness that has been given to the new believer to set them apart and make them holy has not reached maturity yet. There is a progression that must take place for the life of holiness to be matured, to be fully matured. We grow and develop in the life that we have been given. We grow and develop in the life of Christ. That's the reality for a child of God. That the sanctification that we long for, we don't have it yet perfectly because it's not fully developed. But yet it is perfect because it rests in the perfect life of Christ Jesus. Because we who were once dead are now alive in Christ Jesus. But we are not yet perfect in conformity in Christ Jesus. Because we are developing and progressing to that end. So how does Paul encourage us to live a life of sanctification? He encourages us to focus upon Christ and what he has done. In verse 10 through 11, Paul speaks about the death he died. He died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus went before us so that we can live. 
He went before us on the cross and died that sin would be dealt with. And he lives now to live unto God. Everything Christ did in his death and resurrection was to empower us to live unto a holy God. Christian, do you believe that? Do you truly believe that's the power of God's salvation? Because Christ's work was to make us holy, that we can live holy lives in relationship with a holy God. The God of the Old Testament who commanded us to be ye holy as I am holy still commands us to be ye holy as I am holy. So who here can do that? Who here can provide the way to their own holiness? Well, thanks be to God, God has provided the way. And this life will not happen overnight It's a life that must be uh, tended to and cared for. And just like the progression that takes place in life, as one grows and develops from one cycle to the next, the life of holiness must grow and develop as it is nurtured and exercised. We can see that in our physical lives. When we get a resolve to go lose some weight, get in shape, the first thing I do, and I certainly need to do more of it, is that I try to figure out what's the program that's going to work for me. Is it to have a calorie deficient? Is it to go out and do more exercise to make sure I'm putting the time uh, hard and and fast into into the gym? I have to come up with my own program to figure out how I can get the results that I'm looking for. But what is the blessing in the spiritual life is we don't have to come up with our own program. God has given it to us. God has given it to us because he has promised that if we make diligent use of the means of grace, we will grow in holiness. There is an expectation in the child of God, not because we manipulate God in getting what we want out of him, but because God has promised. He has promised that he would meet us when we come to him. And the way that we have been given by God to come to him is in the means of grace. And what I mean by that, and what we here at the Greater Hope mean by that, is we mean by the word of God, by prayer, and by the sacraments. And so let us think for a moment, how is it that we make diligent use of those means of grace? Because that's where God meets us. How do we make diligent use of the word of God? First, you got to pick it up every day and you got to read it. And you not only got to read it, you got to meditate upon it. You've got to stand before the glorious holy word of God and stand there seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Can you behold the face of Christ Jesus? You got to turn it over, talk to God as you read the word of God and ask the Holy Spirit to shine the light upon the word, to bring it alive to you, that it may be applied to your life, that you may walk in holiness and rightly with God, that you can enjoy the benefits of his salvation. So we've got to read it. We've got to meditate upon it. We've got to study it. A lot of us are adverse to studying, but a Christian life is about studying. We're studying all the time. And so why don't we study the things that are really beneficial to us? 
And we have to submit to the word of God. And as James says, we've got to be hearers of it and doers of it. We don't just look at, at ourselves in the mirror and forget what we look like. We come to the mirror of the word of God and see, well, without Christ, I'm a sinner. So why would I ever want to be on an, away from that mirror? I want to be before the mirror that says I'm a redeemed child of God. And so how do we make diligent use of prayer? We talk with God. Do we do that daily? The word of God tells us that we are to pray without ceasing. We are to be in a posture constantly of prayer before God. Speaking to him in the moments. Speaking to him in the whispers. Speaking to him in the hours that we need him most. Pouring out our heart. Confessing our sins. Crying out for supplications. And seeking our God's provision for our life daily. He also allows us to come and raise our complaints to him. Let him hear it. He's a faithful God. And in that, he turns our cry into our resolve to trust him. And third, we make diligent use of the sacraments. The sacraments. Because in the sacraments, God communicates to us his promises, the reality of his promises. He has said to us that we who are washed and that we who are cleansed by the purity of his means are his people. He promises us that he will lay claim to us to take care of us as his community. The covenant promises belong to us because we are joined in Christ Jesus through the sacrament we see of baptism that depicts that beautiful union that we must be washed and cleansed in the power of Christ Jesus. And we make diligent use of the Lord's Supper when we contemplate what it means before we come to the table. Because there at the table, we meet our Savior face to face. We meet the power of God's grace and what Jesus Christ did in breaking his body and pouring out his blood that we can have communion with our God. God tells us, God makes a promise to us that if we make diligent use of the means of grace, we can expect him to be there. And we can expect to grow in holiness. Now, God is sovereign. He doesn't have to act through the means of grace. But he ordinarily does. He ordinarily does through the foolishness of preaching, through the word of God, through the weakness of prayer, and through these ineffective signs of covenant promises that only have power because of God's design and ordinance. That is the diligent use of the means of grace and that which I encourage you to use that you may grow in holiness. And now we come to our final point, and I'll make it quick. Is the life of sanctification bondage? Some of you may be sitting there thinking, well, if you're asking me to live a life of holiness, that's, that's, in treading, that's cramping my style, Right? That's in treading upon my freedom. And what Paul lays out there 
is he says to us that you are going to be a slave to something. Why? Because you're creatures. And because you're creatures, you're either going to be a slave to sin or you're going to be a slave to righteousness. There is no neutral ground before God. God is a holy God and that we who are finite creatures, we will be exposed before that holiness in one way or the other. And so we have to, we have to be very careful as we walk this road of sanctification, this life of sanctification, because there's two major dangers in which we justify not living a life of holiness. The first is legalism. Well, God, I'm not going to live that way and do what you say because it's as if I'm creating my own holiness. So because I think that way, I'm just not going to live a life that's holy. Or it's the life of liberalism where you have said that, God, you've made me holy, you've taken care of sin, so now I can just live however I want. That's freedom. That's true freedom in many people's minds. But according to Paul, that's not freedom. Because to be free in Christ is to be in bondage to Christ. To be free in Christ is to be a servant of righteousness. And how Paul says that is he says that when you were of your old life, you sinned and you subjected your members to unrighteousness, what did you get? You got more unrighteousness. And if that's the case, then why don't you subject your members to righteousness that you can get more righteousness because the one whom you submit yourselves to is the one who is your master. So if you're submitting yourselves to a life of unrighteousness in your thoughts, in your ways, in all your habits, in all your inclinations, in all your disciplines, each and every single day, Paul tells you what you're going to get is unrighteousness because you're serving sin. But if you submit yourself to righteousness, not meaning my good works, but the works of Christ, my works are not good. Christ's works are good. I have been ordained unto good works because I am in union with Christ Jesus. And because his spirit lives in me, I can live the victory. I can live in holiness. I can walk in righteousness. I can submit my members before the righteousness of Christ. That would say the goodness in the life that I have is because of Christ. God, I am a sinner that is saved by grace. That testimony will never change if you're a Christian. You will never get to the place to say that I'm not a sinner I'm just one living free in grace. You must say that I am a sinner, one that was a slave to sin, that has now been made free by the power of the blood of Christ Jesus so that I can no longer live unto myself and serve sin, but live the risen Lord. Because that is the message of salvation. That is what sanctification is. Sanctification is freedom and rightly exercising that freedom. To serve a holy God. So I encourage you this day to think about that. 
when we call upon you within the church to help you and come alongside of you to help you grow in sanctification, don't resist it. We're doing what we believe that God has led us to do to help you and encourage you to walk with him. And Paul tells us, gives us an even greater incentive because he tells us the payoff at the end. What's the payoff to walk in holiness and to walk in the life of sanctification? Eternal life. Eternal life. What does eternal life mean? It means a life that has no longer has pain, no longer has sorrow, no longer has condemnation, no longer has, has anything that would drive you uh, into hopelessness and despair in this life because sin is no more. Because you, are get, to, you get to live forever with God. You get to receive every benefit that he has ever given in the world because he is a faithful God. He's a loving God and a holy God. I think that's incentive enough for us to live a holy life. We don't deserve that, but that's who our God is, a powerful and gracious God.